With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome to The Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Steve Murray, founder of Real Trends Consulting and a senior advisor to Housing Wire, offers insight and analysis on three trending real estate issues. Steve's 30 plus years in the industry allows him to give you a deeper understanding of today's real estate business happenings. This is Steve Murray, senior advisor to Real Trends and HW Media. Today we're going to talk about trends in personnel costs among brokerage companies, the potential impact of President Biden's $15,000 tax credit for home buyers, and growth through mergers and acquisitions versus organic growth. So let's tackle these. The trends in personnel cost as measured by the percent of corporate revenue spent on employment costs has been remarkably stable over the last five years. From Real Trends Consulting work on valuating residential brokerage companies of all brands, models, regional locations, etc., we collect data on nearly 300 brokerage companies a year, detailed financial information, and from that database of companies, we would share the following. In 2015, for example, brokerage companies spent 31.8% of their company revenue, or gross margin as it's called, on employment costs. This is all employment costs. Salaries, bonuses, healthcare benefits, 401k plans, workman's compensation, temporary labor, et cetera, et cetera. So that meant that 31.8% of the gross margin or company revenue was spent on employment costs. As we proceed closer to today, it went from 31.8 in 2015 to 32.7 in 16, 32.7 in 2018, And we saw a slight drop through the first half of 2020, where it's declined to 30.8%. What this tells us is that brokers have not necessarily cut a lot of employment costs in their brokerage companies. And again, this is all models, all brands, all locations. But it has remained very, very stable for the last five or six years. It does say something to the extent of how important the staff and technical leadership of a brokerage are. Now, we expect it's likely when we look at the year-end 2020 numbers, given the soaring volume of homes that were sold and the 
record level of gross commission income that was generated in 2020, that percentage probably will drop. We know most brokers cut costs, and including employment costs, uh, in March, April, and May. We know that some people brought those people back when volumes started to surge in July, August, and September. But from what we can tell from valuations we've done in the third and fourth quarter, many brokers kept a lid on their costs, both employment, uh, occupancy costs, advertising and marketing, and G&A costs. But anyway, it's worth noting that the trend has been flat to even a little down over the last five years in personnel costs. In future real trending, we'll examine the trends in G&A, advertising and marketing, and occupancy costs. The second issue, the potential impact of President Biden's $15,000 tax credit. There's an old saying that if if you really want to cause some damage, get a fire going and then pour gasoline on it. It's a noble thing to offer, particularly first-time homebuyers, a $15,000 tax credit to help them better uh, get into homeownership. Certainly, there's nobody in the realtor universe that would argue with any incentives to help people buy homes is a good thing for all of us, and we think it's good for people to be able to own a home. Do remember that it was the federal government, the federal government, every bit as much as Wall Street, that caused the last crash in the housing market and the economy in 06 to 2009. I can give you a list of books to read if you care to really dig in to what really went on. But bottom line is, starting in the Clinton administration and into the George W. Bush administration, homeownership was seen as a positive thing. So therefore, more homeownership would be a better thing. And it turned out not to be true at all. As the homeownership rate went from 64.5%, which had been a long-term average, to almost 70% in 2005 because of all the stimulus provided to people in terms of subprime mortgages, Alte mortgages, no-interest mortgages, homebuyer tax credits, homebuyer down payment assistance programs, Fannie and Freddie allowed to lower their underwriting standards. I could keep going. You get the point. What does that have to do with President Biden's $15,000 tax credit? It is this. We have two major problems. If we have the critical low inventory we have right now, where are they going to find the homes to buy in the first place, particularly when they're competing with cash-down investors and i-buying companies like Opendoor and Zillow and Redfin? How is $15,000, now the $15,000 tax credit will help them be more competitive, but it's not going to be a windfall for young homebuyers 
to be able to get into the housing market because the federal government will give them a $15,000 tax credit. At least it's not going to help the way they think it will. It's this reporter's thinking that if the federal government rather would do the messy, hard, difficult work of working with state and local governments to build more housing, particularly build more affordable housing, that would be far better than simply handing a young family a check and saying, okay, we've done our part, now go out and compete in the marketplace to try to buy a home. It, I just don't think it will have that big of an impact, but like so much else that we see out of all levels of governments these days across the country, it really sounds good, it's a wonderful sound bite, it's a wonderful program. It will help some, but not to the extent they think. Lastly, growth through merger and acquisition versus organic growth. We've commented on this numerous times. Doing both is better than doing neither. And we're apt to say that unless a brokerage company really has a system for recruiting talent to their companies and developing that talent, they're going to fall further and further behind. And yes, growth through mergers and acquisitions can be a great way to grow, and it provides a very quick boost to a brokerage company. But after those are done, a year later, a two years later, down the road, if you don't have a system for organic growth, then you're compelled over and over and over again to rely only on merger and acquisitions, which, by the way, are not risk-free. In today's market, they are expensive and costly and take time, a lot of time, to accomplish. Now, certainly, Real Trends Consulting being a leader in merger acquisition among brokerage companies, we would say there are a lot of deals that are very, very worthwhile to do. When you have a chance like Ladder and Bloom did a few months ago to combine with the other large independent brokerage in New Orleans, that is a wonderful strategic way to grow to basically double your market share in your core market terrific M&A growth example. But if you're going to other markets, you have to make sure you're not only buying a good brokerage, but you actually have a plan for retaining the talent that built that brokerage. And so we see more and more attention paid by people like Peerage, Compass, United Real Estate, Home Smart and others, Berkshire Hathaway is another good one, where it is just as important to assess the talent as it is the brokerage itself. Because if you're moving into a new market, you're going to have to rely on that talent to make sure the business functions correctly and provides a reasonable return on the money and time it took to grow. Therefore, our summary would be, look, it's good to do both. And as we tell people in your local market, if you're trying to grow, 
you want to have a recruiting system to recruit good agents. No matter what else you're doing in merger and acquisition, that is a must. You must have a system. How are you going to attract people to your company? It's also likewise good to have a strategy to do local acquisitions or what we may call roll-ins or combinations of other kinds to supplement your organic growth. We do make this final statement in this summary. It is far better to have a really good organic growth program and supplement it with M&A or merger and acquisition growth strategies than it is to have a primarily merger and acquisition growth strategy and not have a great organic growth strategy. This has been Steve Murray, Senior Advisor, Realtrends. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. To stay up to date on the current trends in the industry, subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.